podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 10-12 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. I'm getting over nonsense, so I'm hoping that my voice is normal. I'm not the only one who doesn't sound um, entirely well, my good friend, Andy Mitz. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to blame all this on Texas, even though I was sounding like this long before that Texas game. So this is just, it's going to be one of those episodes. It's the time of year folks. It is. And I don't mean the holidays. That's mean like plug your ears, kids. Shit's going around. Uh, the other person joining us today, as she does every week, the magnanimous, uh, the vibe queen, the of uh, the 1012 network, the Discord uh, overlord, uh, JSJ, Jamie Steyer Johnson. If I can't walk into something and immediately take it over, what's even the point? Honestly. I mean, I vote that every new title she gets needs to rhyme like Discord overlord. I mean, but you could make Vibe Queen rhyme, but it's also appropriate. I'll do my best. At worst, there can be some alliteration. I, if I, I can I get it to work. I new ones from like now on. Okay. So I'll do my best. Yeah. I'll do my best. Um, if everybody else has any nicknames for Jamie, JSJ, uh, I mean, that's three. We have JSJ, Discord Overlord, Vibe Queen of the 1012 Network. I mean, we've got three already. It's going to get, I'm going to make you a business card and it's just going to have all those. And then we need a, we need it's a, gonna be a, it's going to be an eight by 10 sheet of paper. <laughs> no, it's, it's a business card, but it, it, it flo- like folds no, down. It's a, it's, a, it's a legal pad. It's a, it's a trifold business card. Um, it's in the same size font as most business cards. Yes. Yeah. Really what it is, is it's a poster that has been folded so many times that it fits inside a wall. We push the boundaries of physics and we actually folded it that one extra time that you're not uh, supposed to be able to is it seven is seven the limit i don't know i don't know what it, there, there's a set number of times doesn't matter how it's far outside my realm of expertise what size the sheet of paper is you cannot fold it more than that <laughs> oh well uh this is the digital podcast we're here to talk big 12 uh a lot of football i know basketball is going on. basketball goodness gracious sakes alive i know basketball is going on uh it's not that we're going to ignore it i'm going to try and get some in here at the end because um, there's plenty to talk about. Very excited to start really diving in on that. We got another. We got two more weeks, and then and, and then we can really go like ninety percent basketball. But Jamie's giving me a, a very dirty look for yourself. I, I'm doing my best here, Jamie. If you don't I like say, it, you can I mean, go host your least, own podcast. At least fifty fifty basketball and football now. So well, I mean, I'm here in pajamas eating ice cream. Life's good. I mean, there are at least two fan bases who are all in on basketball at this point. Um, everyone else in the Big 12 is going bowling, so they should still be at least somewhat interested in what's going on with their football programs. We're going to start the show off today, though, not with our current boys and girls, but with our future brethren and sister. No one has ever pointed out what the female oh. version of brethren is for us, Did you the which I, the word I enjoy yeah, using. Yeah. 
Well, how's our towel, Vinny? Jared, I don't know why you guys can hear me. Uh, we just can't. No Seriously. One, I'll have to cut. Like, I, we'll, we'll cut this. Um, No, it's not in my recording. It's in your recording. Like, it's in your stuff only for whatever reason. I have it set here and everything. It's okay. Uh, <clears throat> I lost my train of thought. We're going to start this. Sh- With all the new people. And brethren. Uh, yeah, brethren and sisterin or something, congrats, whatever that's called. Congrats to BYU. They are bowl eligible after beating FCS Utah Tech. It was a little bit weird there for a while. It was 6 nothing Utah Tech. Uh, this was like the old Dixie state that's now called Utah tech, uh, which was a really fun, interesting story. Thanks to, to Matt Brown of extra points, who was, uh, presenting that information. If you are subscribed to that newsletter and you should be, if you're not, well, that's your fault. Uh, they get six wins. They're bold eligible. Congrats to BYU. Cincinnati beat temple 23 to three. Very nice performance. Houston, uh, crushed ECU 42 to three on the road and UCF. UCF, who controlled their destiny. All they had to do was beat a bad Navy team and then followed up next week by beating a bad USF team, who is their rival, uh, to host the AAC championship game and sit themselves in a very good spot to be the the G5 New Year's Sex representative. And then UCF lost to Navy 17-14. to Here's the stat. Here's the, here's the stat. The midshipmen attempted one pass in the entire game, and it was an incompletion. I mean, who among us? <laughs> yeah, like that was that was the the score that I was looking at that was like, what the heck? Because like for a while, BYU was having trouble with Utah Tech. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up winning by like, I don't know, like 26 points or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like they killed them. Uh, UCF and Navy, I kept thinking the same thing was going to happen, that like all of a sudden UCF was just going to take off and, and it just never happened for whatever reason. It was really strange to see. No. And let me tell you, I had plenty of time to look at other football scores while I was, you know, covering my own. So. Well, that I watched that game while I was at work for my day took a, took a turn and got really wild. But uh gosh, I was I I never really watch a whole lot of like navy and them play and so that was that was a jarring style of football observe hold on do we need to back up here and jamie which job the jewelry job got weird or yeah okay uh not weird it was just busy and i broke like three saw blades on my hand on your hand well it's a jewelry saw so the saw blades really really small and i'm trying to saw through a ring and i'm holding it and if it breaks i usually move forward because i saw really aggressively i don't know if that comes as a surprise to anyone jamie not at all i didn't think there was anything in your life you didn't do aggressively so my hand kind of looks like one cats attacked it but it was indeed just the saw blades just <laughs> Don't worry, cat kids. They're sin. Look was, it up. Jewelers saws are, are less scary than they cat scratches. <laughs> okay, back to the topic at hand. Uh, so with yes, UCF, back, back to the topic at hand. By the way, I I, I did look it up. It is Cistrin. Okay, it's never anymore, but it is Cistrin. So there you go. Brother. Back to the topic at damaged hand. Uh, exactly. Mm. Oh, this this episode's already off the rails, and it's it's a. It's good. I love it. Uh, so here's the situation in the AAC. And I know you're like, why are you talking about the AAC? Because it does involve three of the four teams joining the conference soon. On Friday, Tulane and Cincinnati will face off. 
The winner will host the AAC title game. The loser will potentially be in a three-way tie with UCF and Houston if both of those teams win their games on Saturday. UCF visits uh, USF. Houston will host Tulsa. There will be a three-way tie for who will be the visiting team in the AAC championship game. So, Houston. So that means we get a coin flip, right? No. Uh, it comes Sorry, down I'm making to making a reference to I believe yeah. it was the FCS playoffs. Yeah. It was it was really weird to hey, hear my that brother that was talking a coin flip. About that it's coin flip. And you're like, we got nothing else? That's all you got? Not points like points all forced, the best or... sports stories come down to a coin flip. A lit, not, but a literal one, not just like a huh, metaphorical mm-hmm. one, like a little one. Okay. Um so the, the the as I understand it, and there's a lot of people trying to figure out what the AAC tiebreaker rules are, but as I understand it, it would come down to whoever the highest ranked team is would be the one to go to the conference championship game. So Cincinnati Tulane, the winner of that will be the host of the AC championship game and the loser along with UCF or Houston. If Houston and UCF win, if one of them loses completely different situation, then it's going to come down to like head to head and a bunch of other crazy stuff. So it is, it is gonna be a wild weekend to try and figure out who's going to the AC championship game. I mean, just looking at it now, it's hard to imagine that Houston is going to jump up high enough to get over both UCF and potentially Cincinnati because I would expect Cincinnati to move up and UCF to move down. But, like, it's going to be essentially who is able to, like, does does Cincinnati hold on to a spot above UCF at that point if they were to lose? Well, and I guess it would be the same thing for Tulane. Like, whichever one of those loses – there's a very good chance, unless it's a blowout, that they stay above UCF, considering UCF is playing South Florida. Yeah, obviously we don't know what the next a uh, college football playoff rankings will be as we are recording this on Sunday night. Uh, the newest AP poll is out at the moment. Tulane is 19, Cincinnati is 21, UCF is 25, and Houston is not even among those receiving votes. And I don't think a win over Tulsa no matter how big it might be, if that is what is to come, is going to be enough to get them in the rankings. So um, I don't think Houston has a real shot here. I know that the te- technically they are going to be involved, um, but also they had lost to Tulane. It's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm very interested to watch these games. Cincinnati Tulane on Friday, huge game. Unfortunately, it's not at the same exact time as Texas Baylor, so i got to figure out how to balance those two games at the same time. Thanks, scheduling people. Thanks so much. Of of course you're gonna watch the more important Tulane Cincinnati one. I mean, I mean it 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 technically one determines a team in the conference championship game. And look, one of those teams has a chance to win a conference championship. Yes, one of those four. Uh, speaking of, let's talk about the Big Twelve title game scenarios. I think that's a good way to lead into the Big Twelve. TCU, as we know, is a lock. They're in there. Uh, we'll talk about the game of the year here in a minute, but they're in. Now it's just can they get there completely at 12-0 and undefeated. Who they face is pretty easy to determine. If Kansas State wins on Saturday in the Sunflower Showdown, it will be a battle of the purples in Arlington. If Kansas State loses and Texas wins, then Texas would be facing off against TCU in Arlington, which is why that game on Friday does matter. If Kansas State and Texas both lose, pretty sure it's Kansas State going to Arlington because they would still have a few enough losses to be safe to get there. So the most likely situation we're going to have is a rematch 
of TCU and Kansas State, which based off how that game went the first time and the injuries that occurred, I think that's the rematch that I'm most interested to see is can we get a healthy TCU versus a healthy Kansas State in Arlington in a neutral site for that game? That's look, this isn't some anti-Texas thing. I just that's a rematch I want to watch. That is a I, I obviously the Texas TCU game wouldn't look anything like the first time around in Arlington, but TCU Kansas State long enough ago in the season. I want to see what Kansas State looks like against TCU again with a starting quarterback who plays the whole game without a bunch of players on their defense that either get hurt or knocked out due to penalties. Like I want to see healthy Kansas State versus healthy TCU. That I feel like we deserve that game because the first one was just so tantalizing and, and with the issues that happened, I don't feel like we got the game that we, we should have. I want to see it again. That, that is the game I hope we're going to see in Arlington in two weeks. Yeah, I mean, so obviously, right, the hope is that Baylor beats Texas on Friday. So that way when, you know, Kansas wins in the Sunflower Showdown to, you know, <laughs> like there's no pressure for Kansas State at that point. So, you know, Kansas can come in and and they won't have an opportunity to spoil the uh, the Big 12 championship berth. But, you know, Kansas State, it's not a big deal if they win at that point. So, you know, they'll 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 do their uh, in-state brethren a solid, right? Sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So. Are we going to see how many times we can use the word brethren today? You uh, pretty much. Yes. At this if, point. If this was a video podcast, we'd have a little tracker in the corner. Yeah. Ding. I, li- <laughs> I like it. Um, speaking of TCU, obviously they are 11 and 0 after uh, the game of the year in the Big 12. <laughs> the end of this, it, it's, it's, that's it. You, you had a tie game at halftime. It was weird while back and forth. Then you get Baylor goes up in the second half. They go up late and you're like, man, is it TCU gets back down the field, fire drill field goal, gets that thing off, wins by one. The Baylor beats teams that are 10 and 0 in the big 12 curse has come to an end. That game was absolutely incredible. You can't help but feel like Baylor missed all just, just had enough opportunities to get that win and couldn't make it happen. The field goal at the end, like, it felt so insane. And yet, if you go back and rewatch it, TCU looked surprisingly calm the whole time. Mm-hmm. And somebody put out the radio call of Brian Estridge, who's the voice of TCU. And if you listen to him, like, how how calm he is talking through the situation does not fit what you're watching with the video. And yet... I think it is an accurate description of how TCU handled it. It felt chaotic. It felt frantic. But if you really watch TCU, they seemed calm, cool, and collected through that. Uh, if you're watching without, like, the scoreboard available, it's it's a very different yeah, story. It, and I'm so bummed I didn't hear the radio call live because I listened to most of that game on the radio as I was getting busier. So I, I had to focus. I couldn't have the actual game on my phone to watch. Couldn't break a fourth my uh, saw blade earlier in the day. I was running out of saw blades, but uh, so I was listening and I tweeted this, but I had some moments trying to work through my confusion as when they went to commercial breaks, <laughs> one of the first commercial breaks, they came back and, you know, radio calls tend to play a little bit of bumper music coming back from a break to ease you back into people talking and they played this like gospel song and i was like whoa that's really odd 
that must have been some kind of overstate. Maybe this chant, maybe they're, you know, like, plays holiday music. And then it happened, like, two or three more times. And I straight up had to sit there until the light bulb went off. And I remembered what TCU stands for. And it made a lot more sense then. But I was really, I was distracted from the game because I was so baffled about why they were playing all these gospel songs. That's still a weird transition. I don't care if it's TCU or not. It's not like TCU is, like, I get it, but that's still, okay, now I got to listen to a TCU It's a little odd, but it's not like, it's not like alternate universe. Like, I it goes like from being in. a huge shocker to mildly weird. All right. Yeah. If you're, yeah. If you're, yeah. If you're, it's still not normal. If you're a TCU fan, like hop in the DMs on Twitter, 1012 Network, like help us understand this. Now I'm going to listen. I got to understand. Um, after the game, Sonny Dice was asked. I like, will say though, like watching that, because we were watching that and like everybody in the press box up at the Kansas game was just like, what are they doing running the ball there? Like we, you saw them run the ball and every single one of us was like, they're going to run out of time. And like it, it was like our discussion afterwards was Sonny Cumbie may have gone from like, if they had not gotten the field goal off in time, that may have been like a play that people point to, to justify not voting for him as coach of the year. But like, <laughs> because that was a, that would have been a huge coaching gaffe to run into the middle of the field, you know, not go down super quickly, but like, I mean, cause, cause he ran and tried to get some extra yards and like, if, if they had run out of time, they very easily, completely botched all of that and like i swear i thought that they were done like i didn't think they would get it off in time and he barely snapped it in time and then nailed the field goal and like everybody was going crazy well except baylor fans they were not um well they they were going crazy just in a, in different, a different way, way. yeah max duggan no darius davis they lost quentin johnson and kendra miller in this game those are your three most important offensive weapons duggan was fighting for his life offensive line was having issues. He seemed like he was pretty banged up. And yet he managed to get this team to 11 and 0. I am sick and tired of and look, I don't let me let me let me explain one thing. I don't care about the Heisman. It's bullshit. It is not the award it's supposed to be anymore. It is who is the best player that we perceive on what we perceive to be the best team. Not who is the player that is most important to its team's season? And it's going to go to C.J. Stroud, and it shouldn't go to C.J. Stroud, because I don't think he's the best player in the country. I don't think if you put him on any other team, he would be as good as he is. Max Duggan has lifted this TCU team up, along with the rest of the talent there, but this game was incredible, and this fourth quarter was incredible. Absolutely incredible performance. I, I he, he should be more of a front runner, And I mean... If we're going to talk about this award, because you have to, and we're not talking about CFP stuff today, I don't deal with it. We're talking about this award. like Unless he, we're talking about the Cyclone Family Podcast, am I right? Folks, tune in. That is what CFP means in the 1012 Network, Cyclone Family Podcast, yes. Uh, I just, Duggan was incredible. <laughs> he was great. Baylor, look, I, 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 we have to put a little bit of time here on Baylor. Baylor had it. And and couldn't seal the deal. I mean, you were basically a first down away from being able to seal this, put this game away. Uh, and they couldn't. Props to TCU. Props to Sonny Dykes. Props to Max Duggan. Incredible performance. And 
I don't like the like team of destiny stuff, but it does feel like things have just gone TCU's way. And look, luck is a is when preparation meets opportunity. People don't like the word luck in sports. It implies that you didn't deserve what you got. No, TCU's luck is because they have been a well-coached, well-prepared, well-executing team who has benefited when the opportunities to make sure that they need to do what they need to do to continue to win have presented themselves and they have executed well. TCU is darn good. I don't want to hear. I, I love the Tennessee fans who just got ripped to shreds in our Twitter mentions that had been talking to T- TCU people all week long. Tennessee, Tennessee destroyed in the Twitter mentions. And it was the most glorious thing to see. Just as I said, if you mess with the frog, you get the horns. That's exactly what happened. I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling and ranting at this point, but I just like, look, I want TCU to go undefeated and get to the playoff. I do. It's good for the Big 12. It's good It's good fun. It's good story. It's good to talk about. It It would give me a reason to want to talk about the college football playoff here on the podcast. Like, I, I kind of hope they do. This is a Big 12 show. It's not a shot at Kansas State. If Kansas State wins, that's awesome. Congratulations, you're going to win a Big 12 title. If Iowa State beats TCU next week, holy crap, that would be insane if that happened. And a ton talk of fun to talk about. Talk about team of destiny and their destiny is just screwing the Big 12. Yes, but... Yeah, this is a Big 12 show. So understand from a Big 12 perspective, you got Cincinnati in the playoff last year, and now they're going to join the conference. If you can get TCU in this year, it just helps to fortify the stupid no- narrative nonsense about the Big 12. Blah, blah. And I don't care if, T- if some Big 12 team does, if TCU does get there this year, and they run into Georgia and they get pounded by 50. It doesn't matter because Tennessee, the same thing would happen to you the second time as well. So I hope TCU wins out. I do. That's that I'm on that bandwagon. I hope it happens. The one thing I will say, you know, we talked last week. Well, I should say the big story last week, right. Was about how TCU finally showed that they could win a defensive game, you know, kind of showed that they could win a different. This was the week where they finally got hit by the injury bug that had been hitting pretty much everybody across the entire country, all of the main contributors. And TCU was able to come through that and actually win the game. Like, you know, the rest of the Big 12 has had injury issues all year long as well, usually against TCU. But <laughs> TCU had it happen against their biggest rival on the road and were still able to come away with a win. And and I think that's probably the most impressive thing is, you know, this was a game that was up and down and kind of all over the place, but you lose those three huge contributors to your offense and still manage to pull it out at the last second. I mean, that that has to count for something. Yeah. I, I think it does. They, they Every time someone's like, oh, this is going to be it, or this is going to be the problem, TCU finds a way to win. And finding a way to win is hard to do. Ask a ton of teams around the country who cannot find ways to win games no matter how many opportunities they are presented. We'll talk about a team like that later on. As for their teams contending for the Big 12 title, let's talk about Kansas State. Built a huge halftime lead, scored on every possession of the first half except for the pick six. Uh, overhit with more than six minutes left in the first half in the second quarter, the overhit. It was ridiculous. It was hilarious. Um, they built a big, had big lead at half. And then, uh, that was pretty much it. That's pretty much the game. There was 13 points scored in the second half. Kansas state, you know, West Virginia put up some fight. We talk about them. Uh, Kansas state one went away from Arlington Jayhawks standing in the way. The Wildcats are in this spot because they had the best backup quarterback in the big 12 who has stepped in and arguably elevated the Kansas State offense. Uh, shout out to Cole Manbeck of the Three Mile Podcast. He, he posted this one on Twitter. I thought it was interesting. 
Uh, Will Howard has a 170.5 passer rating this season. That ranks number five in the country among quarterbacks. Now, he hasn't played enough snaps to qualify, and he hasn't played enough snaps, so I don't want to sit there and be like, that means he's the fifth best. No, play a full season when this matters. But the point is that for what he has been asked to do, he has been very, very good. That 170.5 would put him ahead of Duggan uh, and behind Stroud, Hooker, May, and McCall. His 9.1 yards per pass would place him at 10th in the country. Now, again, too small a sample size to sit here and try and make large claims about what Will Howard would do if he was the starter day one for the entire season for Kansas State. But he's been the best backup in the Big 12. He has stepped in and been fantastic and allowed Kansas State. I think the offense has been better with him than it was with Martinez. I think because of what he is able to do, I think his legs are good enough. I am... I am. This is a good Kansas State team. It is, and he has been a huge piece for them. And I, again, you you have to find ways to overcome issues. This is why having quarterback depth is important. And this is not what I thought Will Howard was. Nobody thought this was what Will Howard was going to be this year. No, no, other than maybe some like uber diehard bleeds purple Kansas State fans like, no, oh, he's going to eventually. No, we'd seen enough of Will Howard to be like, no thanks, we we got it. I, I think the only ones that thought he'd be any good were related to him, most likely. Like. Honestly, because look, look, I, in a way I was kind of right about Kansas state because my thought process coming into the year was that I didn't think Adrian Martinez could do enough with this offense to make them competitive. And to be honest, the defense has kept them in a lot of the games that they were in. I don't think that Adrian Martinez specifically, and and as we've gotten further into the season, teams have figured out, right. How to be successful against Adrian Martinez. Will Howard came out of nowhere was not what I expected at all. And I think he had, like you said, a, a different dynamic to this offense that allows him to be a lot more successful when he is on the field. Um, you know, I, I was a little surprised that, he, that they went back to Adrian Martinez. I understand that he was a starter at the beginning of the year, but just looking at what Howard was able to do in the game and a half that he was filling in the first time, you know, and then immediately starting to do that again when he came in in relief for Adrian Martinez the second time. Like, I don't know, even if Adrian Martinez is healthy the rest of the year, I don't know how you go back to him if Will Howard's ready to go. Um, speaking of the Kansas State defense, I'll ask you guys a question that was asked to me. It, it, and because my answer included a player on the Kansas State defense, uh, Kyle Carpenter of the Longhorn Republic podcast, our good friends, Kyle and, and Gerald do a great job talking Texas over there. Um, his, his question was Jalen Ford. He's got to be a front runner for the conference defensive player of the year. And who did I think would also be in the running? And I, I thought uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson of TCU makes a lot of sense. Uh, and Aduke Zoma of Kansas State, talking about Kansas State, I think is there. Um, absolutely. And, and shout to Shahan. He had the other answer as well. Tyree Wilson, who now is of course, uh, out for the rest of the season, Texas tech defensive end. He's, uh, he's having surgery on his foot. So he will not play the season finale or in the bowl game and will go prepare for the NFL has been incredible. So I'm curious, uh, Jamie, if you have thoughts, cool. Um, if I, I don't mean that it sounded really condescending and I'm really nope. sorry. I uh, have, first of all, generally <laughs> no thoughts specifically on this topic. Also none. Um, Andy, uh, uh, Levi, our good friend from Wine Right 90 Light, said Anthony Johnson should be in the conversation. My problem with concluding an Iowa State defensive player is I have a hard time figuring out who the best defensive player on Iowa State is because there's quite a few really good ones. Andy, at this point, if you were going to vote for defensive player in the year in the Big 12, who would either be the guy that you're like, no, Tim, or guys you would you would seriously debate? I, I always have a hard time with these, like, defensive player of the year like single player because of kind of what you said about iowa state because 
I don't think there's really that much argument that Iowa State has the best defense in the Big 12. Um, the only reason that they've been in any games at all is because their defense has been absolutely phenomenal all year long. Um, but like you said, it's hard to pinpoint like who the guy is. I don't know if there's a player that you take for that team and the defense just completely falls apart, which is typically the way that you can identify, you know, a front runner for that. Similarly, I think that I think that all of those teams that you pointed out have good, solid defenses from top to bottom, and it's difficult to pick out a team or I'm sorry, a player off of those teams that is, is like the guy that you highlight. But I mean, I think all the ones that, that were mentioned are very good candidates. I think that's my problem is I don't know right now who would the front runner be um, at this point. I think there's probably about four or five people that are all in contention for it. And every single one of those names is on that list. So unfortunately, I can't really help you figure out who it is because that's the problem that I always have with trying to identify one singular player. I'm usually much better at looking at like an individual position player, but trying to look at the defensive impact of players from different positions that do completely different things and different schemes and different offenses. It's, it's hard to compare them and say definitively, this is the guy that should win the award. Okay. No, I think it's fair. I'm, I'm having a hard time with it to people who tell me it has to be this person. I'm like, uh, I think there's not, again, I think there's about five guys who have a legit about four or five guys who have a legitimate case for defensive player of the year this year. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see who actually gets the award. Um, West Virginia lost They're four and seven. Uh, we've talked enough about West Virginia lately, the Neil Brown situation, the season's over for that in years. I, I'm curious if they're going to have much of the tank left in their season finale. Um, you're, you're here seeing talk from fans of like transfer for portable players, which makes sense. Your head coach is not long for his job. I, I, I'm not going to blame any player who leaves. So I don't really want to spend time on West Virginia. They've, I don't mean that it's not a shot at West Virginia. It's just like, y'all, y'all know what's going on. You don't need me to sit here and, and, and hound on it. You, you've, you're living it. I'll let you go. Uh, Texas tech, uh, gets to bowl eligibility in year one of Joey McGuire. And I don't think we can understate how big that is for this program. I buy into what McGuire is selling. Now look, this is a team of chaos. Like they're really good one minute and not the next, but I, this is an absolute year one. And if that's truly what it is, if this is what I believe a year one for a coach who is building something there in Lubbock, both from a, a foundational and a, a program building situation and what they're doing in recruiting, making a bowl game in year one is a hell of a starting point. They've got Oklahoma in the season finale. Then they get a bowl game. If you were to tell me uh, Texas Tech in year one of Joey McGuire with eight wins, which is on the table for Texas Tech. And that's what's craziest. They are bowl eligible with two games left on their season, the regular season finale and their bowl game. If they finish this year above 500 in year one of Joey McGuire, I think that's I think that's huge for him. I think that is an amazing stepping point for Texas Tech. I think that sets them up with what they have coming back, what they ha- we expect them to have coming back, what they will have coming in the recruiting trail this year, what they are building. Uh, there's going to be a... McGuire is not coach of the year. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying Texas Tech's the best team. I'm not saying they're the best story. But I do think the fact that they got to a bowl game in year one is huge for this program and really sets up it 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 solidifies for me how I view the McGuire hire and what I think is going to happen at Texas Tech because of him. And I don't think you could ask for a better start. Well, I, I think the other thing to think about too with Texas Tech, it's not like they had, you know, a senior quarterback who led the team with a whole bunch of guys. And he like, you know, took advantage of all of the previous talent that was on there. This was him energizing a team that had struggled mightily 
under Matt Wells that it had a lot of problems, you know, a lot of players that you weren't sure kind of similar, honestly, to, to TCU coming into the year. Like you had a bunch of players on that roster where you weren't sure if you could cobble them together to make a good team out of them. Um, and I think both Sonny Cumbie and Joey McGuire have done that this year and brought them all together to make a good team in the case of TCU, a great team. Um, you know, and so like, yeah, I, I think it's super impressive what he's able to do. I was talking with, with I'll be sure um, for the, for the preview for that Texas tech game with Kansas, just a couple. And, you know, like, I, I think everybody agreed when Joey McGuire got hired that looking long-term, he was probably going to be very good, especially with how energized the fan base was when he got hired. But it was always a, you know, is it going to take two years for him to get him to a bowl game and start building that momentum? Or is it going to take, you know, three or four years? Cause they have to completely revamp stuff. I don't think anybody expected a bowl game in year one, which is saying a lot about this team, the way that they were able to do this. So yeah, it was super impressive. Um, I, I just think it's, it's honestly a little bit insane how good the coaching, um, you know, sta the stable of coaches in the big 12 is at this point with so many teams that are on the rise at this point. And then, you know, other teams where you have coaches that you know are good coaches that are just having a down year for whatever in this in this season. So there's a lot of really good coaches on the football side to go along with all the fantastic we have on the basketball side. Um, it's really interesting, I think, to see just how good the leadership is for the two major programs at each of the schools that we have. Well, and a, I, one of the best points, I think, to be made there is exactly what you're saying about winning with returners as a new coach. Like, that's really difficult because when you're recruiting, you're recruiting people who subscribe to your philosophy of how to run a program, of what style of play you're going to have, uh, the expectations as a person, as a player. Uh, it, it can be really hard to have someone new come in and take the reins and earn the respect and the buy-in of their players let alone to then go in and legitimately have success. Like I, that is, I mean, truly in any sport, if someone comes in and you can succeed with what some people would call someone else's guys, like that's really, really hard. And it says a lot about a coach and how they can connect with their players. Well, and, and there's usually a conversation. If you have a really good year in year one, it's usually because somebody, you know, like that you had a lot of talent that was held over that either the team, the, the prior year had a bunch of injuries or, um, you know, or the coach just for whatever reason did something stupid and ended up getting himself fired. Like this was not the case here. There was a lot of people, myself included, who wondered how many players that were on the Texas Tech roster were going to be part of a successful Texas Tech team. And for them to, with the, you know, quarterback carousel that they had of three different Years playing because of injuries to still put together a six and five season at this point with the opportunity. Well, assuredly going to a bowl this year, like that is super impressive. No continuity at quarterback. Like this wasn't a case where you just had a small stable of players that played completely out of their minds for a brand new coach. And you succeeded on the back of that. This was them having to juggle lineups, having to, you know, get a bunch of guys to work into a system and having to, utilize multiple quarterbacks to lead the team playing multiple different styles and working in completely different ways. So I think it was a, it was super impressive all around to be able to juggle all of that and to do it with so many different players being successful. Now I'm going to, I'm going to follow this up by saying, yes, it's incredible that I've gotten two, six wins and reach eligibility. This was not a good performance by Texas tech. And yet 
They found a way to win. You were outgained by 146 yards. You lost the turnover battle, and yet here you are, 14-10 victors over Iowa State. We will talk about Iowa State here in a little bit. I will say it was it was more impressive for Texas Tech to win 14-10 than when Kansas won 14-11. So this is just what Iowa State does. They, like, muddy up the game so bad that a 14-10 win is nothing to sneeze at against a team like Iowa State that plays that well defensively. No, not that day, Um, I got good news for everybody. Everybody. If you have things sitting in your home field apparel, shopping cart. Oh, my gosh. I can't think of words. Go buy them now. Go buy them now. Go buy them right now. Because they are doing their Black Friday sale, and everything is 20% off. And not just for first-time shoppers, for everyone and anyone, 20% off everything at Home Field Apparel. That's the best deal of the year. It's the best deal they offer every year. It's the best promotion you're going to get. I mean, come on. Like, folks. Folks. Who doesn't want 20% off of Home Field Apparel's incredible incredible comfortable t-shirts sweaters and hoodies this black friday sale runs from november 18th through november 27th 20 percent off the entire site with the code black friday real creative in case you forget it's black friday sale the promo code's black friday ha <laughs> look stuff sells out when they do this so go with my quick it's the perfect gifts for you it's perfect gifts for friends and family it's the holiday season give the gift of comfortable Vintage College Sports Apparel. I'm having trouble talking right now. Literally, I'm. Andy sounds terrible, and I can hardly talk. What a winning combination! <sighs> Homefieldapparel.com. Promo code Black Friday, twenty percent off now through November twenty seventh. Go buy, go shop. It's okay. You can buy something for you. Just, just go shop. It's Black Friday sale. Go do it. You, you just, just go do it. I don't. I, if, if you're new to the show and you're like, I don't know what Homefield Apparel is. Homefieldapparel.com. Follow the good brand on Twitter for as long as Twitter's still around. Um, go shop. Boom. Bosco's Boys is here. I think we all wanted it. And the marriage is officially official. I'm so pumped to bring my show to the 1012 Network. Bosco's Boys. The most consistent K-State podcast out there. Over four years with at least one episode a week, bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'm pumped to be here, and I would love it if you guys came over to Bosco's Boys and gave us a listen, because we are not Big J Journos. This is a podcast by a fan and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans, and I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the 1012 Network. Hey, this is Jamie Steyer Johnson, host of the Cyclone Family Podcast. I host a show with my brother, Eric Steyer, and the two of us were raised in the ISU Athletic Department, as my mom has coached women's basketball for over 20 years. Our involvement didn't stop there, and I've been a radio analyst for Cyclone Women's Basketball since 2019, and Eric spent his 2018 to 2022 years as a walk-on on the men's side. We get together each week to talk about what's happening in the world of Cyclone sports, whether that be current seasons, former players, or whatever else we find to be of interest. We'd love to have you join us. The Cyclone Family Podcast. When you listen, your family. Do you think Olive Garden can sue me for that? Okay. Andy, your voice hurts. Jamie, your vibes. You both can just sit back for a minute. I'm going to I'm gonna handle this for just a second. 
Oklahoma Good State. Luck, everyone. Oklahoma State just lost Bedlam on Saturday. Um, it's the worst Oklahoma team since the '90s, and OSU couldn't find a way to win. That's fine. Oklahoma has been getting better as the season has progressed. They have. I'll give credit to Oklahoma where credit is due. They are getting better. I'm not going to give them too much credit because at this point, Oklahoma State's offense is about on par with Iowa State's. I said it. After the first quarter, OU completed six of 20, 20, or 22 pass attempts for 35 yards. They scored 28 points in the fourth quarter, did not score again, and Oklahoma State could still only muster 13 points. That's the recap. That was the rant. I've heard it said many times with head coaches that, quote, they've earned the right to call it when their time is done. I don't agree with that. I think it's crap. The program does not belong to one man or one woman. No program in any sport belongs to a head coach. It belongs to the school, the players, the alumni, and the fans. As a coach, you have been given the responsibility to take something and make it better than what you found it, and I would remind you, pay generously to do so. More and more every year. But too often, we allow one individual to retain ownership of something long past their right to do so, something that affects thousands of people, both emotionally and financially, because of something they did in the past. It happened at Florida State. It happened at Penn State. It happened at Michigan State. It's happening at Iowa right now. Now, let me preface the rest of this by saying, I'm not saying we're at that point with Oklahoma State yet. I'm not. Not yet. Maybe Gundy will pull a Bob Stoops and decide to ride off into the sunset at an appropriate time and make fans love him even more for it, as Bob Stoops did. Maybe Gundy's going to figure things out and turn this around and, and, and make some hard choices. But with the way this season has collapsed, the way the offense has looked at the last few seasons, Gundy is going to need to make a choice this offseason. Is he going to remain a good steward of the Oklahoma State football program? Or is he going to continue to prioritize coaching with his fishing buddies? Don't get me wrong. I am who I am. I am a schmuck with a podcast. A guy who doesn't know 1% of what Mike Gundy knows about college football. I don't. Not, not arrogant enough or dumb enough to believe that I do. But I have eyeballs. I can read advanced statistics. I can look at rankings at the end of the year and throughout the year. It ain't working. A few guys, I believe, one DC and a few offensive skill players the last few years have covered up some systemic issues at Oklahoma State for the past few seasons. I understand the injuries this year. At least 38 guys in the two deep and special teams have been injured this year. That's a lot. But I don't think those injuries have more have really been the primary issue so much as they have brought the issues to light. Things are not working at Oklahoma State. This could sound like it's some overreaction fan who's like, fire Gundy. It's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is something is broken, it has not been fixed, and they have been getting away with it for a little while now. The end comes quickly. It doesn't come slowly, it comes fast, and it comes hard. I'm not saying this is the end for Mike Gundy. I'm not saying this is the end of Oklahoma State being one of the more successful programs in the Big 12. All I'm saying is that in life, if we really want to do the best job we can, sometimes we have to make hard choices and decide what is the priority. Nick Saban is one of, is the best coach in college football, probably in college football history, because he is a man who makes the hard choices he must make to continue to prioritize success. Dabo Sweeney is a guy who likes to stick with continuity, and it has served him well. And it'll probably continue to serve him well because they can recruit like crazy. But it doesn't work for everybody that way. It doesn't. So 
This offseason will be a very interesting one for Oklahoma State. Doesn't matter if they beat West Virginia and win their bowl game in the next two games of this year. Doesn't matter what happens in the next two games. Mike Gundy will finish with a winning record for the, again, every year since his first season in 2005 when they didn't, he has had a winning record. He's got seven wins. He's guaranteed one. Guy knows more about coaching, but I, it, it's not good. It's not good. Rant over. I think my favorite part about that rant was that the second you got started that Jamie and I both pulled out our phones because we knew it was going to be a while. So, <laughs> but no, I mean, what you said is absolutely true. Like we saw that we, we had this conversation last year with, with TCU and Gary Patterson. Oh, I should put TCU on the um, list. You know, like, yeah, exactly. Like this is one of those things where every single coach, unless they're willing to adapt, is going to find a point where the sport has left them behind. There are coaches who can coach for a very, very long time and be successful over multiple eras of their sport because they adapt to what the new sport is or to like the way that the sport goes now. Right. Saban is a, is a great example of that. Gundy has not shown any willingness to adapt and he's been able to, I think, get away with it for so long because Oklahoma State has always been one of those teams. You know, I, I kind of put him in the, in the same vein of like a Nebraska, right, where they are very successful, or I'm sorry, they are moderately successful for a very, very long time, do enough that most fan bases would be fine, you know, sticking at that plateau. But when it becomes, when it comes time for them to jump up and improve, you don't actually see it because not a lot of stuff changes. And Gundy has been very fortunate that Oklahoma State fans are not like Nebraska fans and gotten super upset about, you know, only winning nine games a year, you know, occasional 10 games, going to good bowls, all that stuff, and then having one occasional down year every once in a while. Um, but, you know, that's not normally acceptable for as long as Gundy has been able to without showing some really good reason for why it's happening. You know, like if you're down years because of a ton of injuries or something like that, then it's kind of understandable. But Gundy has not had enough top-level success, I think, to continue to refuse to make changes moving forward and everybody's going to be okay with it because there have been plenty of times where he should have had a conference winning team or he should have had a team that was a lot more competitive than it was and something falls apart. Something doesn't work. And usually you can trace it back to an adjustment that most people would have made that he just won't make for whatever reason. Speaking of uh, programs, they're going to need to take a, Long, hard look at themselves in the offseason. Iowa State. One of Matt Campbell's favorite things, we've talked about it here on the show, we're going to talk about it again, is that he preaches winning in the margins. Winning in the margins. Oh, at some point we'll do this show with video because <laughs> Jamie's... It's probably better for me. <laughs> uh Forget the special teams, which have been a nightmare, which at this point in the season, hey, progress. They at one point were the 115th worst special teams in the country. They're up to 104th, so they're ranked better than Baylor this year, which is, I guess, progress. It's still the worst ranked special teams, according to Football Outsiders, FBI uh, special teams rankings, of the Matt Campbell era. Uh, they were 8th when he started, his first year in 2016. They've gone to 62nd, 66th, 84th, 90th, 101st, and now 104th. 
That's not something you would see. But what happened? They hired a special teams analyst for this year. That's not the kind of thing you see from a team who is winning in the margins. (coughs) Another thing that doesn't happen to a team that is winning in the margins. Iowa State has outgained nine of their 11 opponents this year. They are four and seven. That's not something you see when you're winning in the margins. Uh, Iowa State in one-score games. If, if you've seen Chris Felica do the, the betting stat that basically Iowa State, Matt, under Matt Campbell, if the spread is within like minus three and a half to, to plus three and a half, his record is awful. It's awful. Um, they are now one and six in one-score games this season. Matt Campbell has a 37% winning percentage in one-score games in his career as the head coach at Iowa State now. He's had a winning record one time. He went 4-2 and two in COVID 2020. Just like I'm not saying Matt, Matt Gundy needs to be fired at Oklahoma State, that's not what I'm saying at all. You're not going to fire Matt Campbell. But I understand loyalty. And I understand continuity, and I understand the value and benefit of both of those things. But at the end of the day, you have to decide if you want to be a good steward of the program that you are in charge of, or if you want to stick by your buddies. And I think at this point, Matt Campbell needs to take a look at his program and see the things that everyone else can literally look at and see and say, you have consistent problems at certain things. If you really want to win in the margins, you have to start figuring out yourself how to do so. Because it doesn't look to me like that particular lesson is being taken to heart. Or it's a say as I do, not as I say. Or say as I say, not as I do. I got that backwards. You understand the line I'm trying to lay. I I started laughing because at some point I remembered that tweet you tagged me in from last week that we were we were supposed to find some good stuff for Iowa State for this episode She's not laugh. She's not uh, crying. She's just laughing. It's okay. Uh, she's laughing so she doesn't cry. That, that, no, that. I told you I've 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 been divested. I'm past it, but a lot of people aren't, and I feel for them. But can I tell you about your uh, insert whatever the AP ranking ends up being after this comes out? Iowa State women's basketball. If you want good vibes, that's all I'm saying. Uh, where are we at in this show right now? We're we're not at the one hour mark. That's good. We're not at the one hour mark. Okay, not yet. We're getting there. We always do. That's fine. Um, I think we've touched on. Look, um, I know we haven't talked one game in particular. Texas blew out Kansas fifty-five to, to fourteen. Jalen, the only thing back. that I will say, I'm going to jump in here, Philip. Please, I'm cutting you off. Oh, no, fine. Because. Look, this game is what is supposed to happen when you have a team as talented as Texas with as much five-star recruiting talent and, you know, highly rated recruits against a Kansas team that 
let's be honest, the vast majority of their players are not anywhere near, like they're not expected to be anywhere near as good as Texas. So looking at talent levels, Texas should be doing this sort of thing. The fact that this is a surprise to a lot of people tells you much more, I think, about Texas than about Kansas. And the fact that they finally did what they were supposed to do against a Kansas team that I think everybody will freely admit, myself included, has vastly overachieved the expectations of the country at this point. Um, just because I had picked them going to a bowl, I freely admitted in my, you know, re my quick reaction to this game that, you know, I anticipate, like even my rosy prediction of them going to a bowl anticipated them winning some games that they probably had no business winning. Um, they've, they've, every game that they've won, with the exception of maybe the Oklahoma State game, you thought going into the game that they had a decent chance to win it uh, because of the way they had played the previous weeks. And, you know, each of those games that they won, they have played in such a way that you look back on the game at the end and said, yeah, they deserve to win that game. That is a huge improvement for this Kansas program. Um, and the fact that, you know, their schedule is so backloaded should not make anybody feel worse about Kansas. I think this is a lot more about Texas in this particular game. Um, I'm not going to get into talking about refs because Big 12 refs were at the, like it wouldn't have changed the outcome of the game overall. It probably would have been a closer game, but yeah, Big 12 refs were on were on point in this game and getting getting a lot of people pretty upset pretty early, um, especially towards the end of that first half that really kind of just put the entire stake in the, in the entire game. But Texas was so dominant on the on the ground anyway, um, which is an area that we knew that Kansas had problems with that that wasn't going to change the outcome of the game. But ultimately, I think what we found out is that Kansas still has a ways to go, which we all kind of expected. And Texas is actually finally playing the way that they're supposed to play in games that they should be winning by a bunch. Now, get back to playing you know, the top conference and games that are more of a toss-up, and they need to start playing better than those. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's really all there was to this game. Uh, props to Texas. Obviously, they came in prepared. They were not going to allow last season to happen again. Um, that's not too surprising. And now they, look, they don't control their destiny, but they do have a game against Baylor on Friday. We'll talk about that probably here in a minute. Also, congrats to Sean Robinson for winning Offensive Player of the Week in the Big 12. Oh, yeah. I, I know it's not official, but, I mean, oh yeah, come on. With that performance, if, if he doesn't win it, then something's wrong. Mm, feel pretty comfortable on Bold, bold statement there, Andy. Bold, bold prediction. Um, you know what? Look, uh, we need to talk. Eight out of ten Big Twelve teams are bowl eligible. Uh, every incoming bowl, every big incoming Big Twelve member, bowl eligible. That means when we do our picks pod for bowls. We've got twelve bowl games to pick, which is incredible. Uh, technically, Iowa State and West Virginia aren't out of it because there's a good chance there'll be at least two, one or two, five and seven teams. Okay, last projection I saw. Let me pull this up. I, I bookmarked tweets. Let's like say the crazy. last projection I saw still had Iowa State projected well, now, going to a bowl. Uh, that was before. Okay. Um, 82 bowls. I'm sorry, but yeah, I, I haven't looked at the ones that came out on Sunday. Um, 82 bowl slots. 74 teams are bowl eligible. Uh, there are 16 five-win teams remaining to play each other. So it's very possible that there are just enough six-win teams to fill all the bowl slots this year. Because, um, again, there's 16 five-win teams to play each other, which means that there is, if they were all possible to win, you could get enough to fill those final, what, eight uh, bowl slots. So, 
coming into this week, it was it was presumed there would not be enough eligible teams. I'm looking now through ESPNs, which came out on Saturday night. I don't see Iowa State in here anywhere. Um, well, if it came out Saturday night, that's that would have been that would have been top tier bold to still be picking them in. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, like right after the game. Well, that'd that be, came that'd out be calling a heck of a shot there on uh, on this weekend's outcome. I, I do not see Iowa State in there. The idea was that at one point Iowa well, State yeah, could get yeah, a fifth I win seen the updated ones. and could potentially get in. I I think I don't think there'll be enough, uh, any open spots for five win teams. So it, it does feel like it's. Eight. Can you imagine though if Iowa State finished this weekend by upsetting TCU and getting to a bowl game? How just bizarro! Like how how perfect it would be for this ridiculous season that we've had so far. Matt Cam will be like, what'd y'all say about making coaching changes? Nah, I ain't doing squat now. Look at me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We got a little time and I'm glad we do. We're going to pick the games. We most want to, we're going to pick games for this week coming up, but uh, we can give five, 10 minutes here. Jamie, big 12 women's basketball off to a very interesting and exciting start for this season. (laughs) Uh, Interesting and exciting are two uh, adjectives. They are. That you could use. Could you could you elaborate on pretty, on that? Pretty reasonably. Could I? Yeah. You wanna? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's it's wild. Um, you had preseason Iowa State picked literally like a point ahead of Texas in the conference, and then over in the polls, you had Texas coming in around, coming in at three in the AP. Iowa State at eight in in you know the the first preseason and since then texas has kind of hung at three iowa state moved up to seven and all of a sudden this week you know texas played uconn they lost they didn't move because of it and then they went to their tournament the bad boy mowers battle for atlantis they dropped a game to an unranked team and then they went and played against another team that lost to an unranked team. So you have number three, Texas, and number six, Louisville, playing for the rights to go to the fifth to place the fifth game. Place game. And then Texas lost. I mean, they've been playing without Rory Harmon, who's not only their best player, but their point guard, so that impacts things significantly. But uh, there was a lot of talk about Shaylee Gonzalez, and she hasn't really had a, a statement game like she should have the opportunity to with Rory Harmon out. Um, you look around the league, you've got Baylor, who had the preseason newcomer of the year in Asia Blackwell. Blackwell went down in a... I mean, it wasn't a non-contact injury. She kind of hit someone on a layup, shot the free throws, and then turned around to run back and just couldn't really get her knee moving and ended up coming out of the game. That was a couple games ago. Hasn't played since. Rumor, rumors are swirling that she's not coming back, that she's out for the season. Um, another major transfer for Baylor and Drianna Edwards hasn't been playing. There's been no release from the school, but she's a transfer and this is her third school. So there's potential we don't see her this year. Um, so Baylor's in another tight spot as far as depth goes. Oklahoma had an ill-advised uh, trip plan 
for going out to Utah. I say ill-advised because when you're a team that runs it like Oklahoma does, and then you go to high elevation and play good teams on back-to-back nights, weird things can happen. Weird things like getting 124 points dropped on you. That was a rough one. Bounce back against UT Arlington today. UT Arlington, a solid team. Kansas has been solid again this year. Uh, They're certainly shaping up, especially with some of the weird stuff happening with other teams. Kansas is really shaping up to be a contender in the league again. Well, and the the thing with Kansas specifically is they've been doing it a lot differently than they normally would, right? They've been going inside Mm -hmm. to Tyana Jackson a lot more this season, which was something they struggled with last year, not having a – like Tyana Jackson was great on the defensive end down in the post, but her offense was nowhere near where I heard really, really good things about how hard she worked in the off season. Oh Uh, yeah. She, she worked extremely hard in the off season. You know, I, I actually had talked with her at big 12 media days and like, that was the big thing, right. That, that coach Schneider talked about um, was just how much of an improvement you were going to see from her offensively that should allow them to do quite a bit. So um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I know the coaching staff crazy. and her teammates adore, which says a lot about players. Like it, you can always kind of see who people gravitate towards. So that's awesome. And then, not to bury the lead, but K State, one of the unranked teams to take down a top seven opponent this week. I, I personally, um, you know, not a, not a big deal for me here, but K State freaking took down number four Iowa, had a heck of a game looking a lot better than probably anyone chiefly myself would have given them the opportunity to look without Ioka Lee. Uh, Serena Sandell has been really, really good. Just kind of keeping everyone under control. Uh, they've got a trans transfer, I believe in Shamatsi. She's looked, she came in from LSU. I want to say didn't really play a whole lot there and has had some really, really good minutes especially in that game against Iowa um so K-State definitely looking like they could be someone who's who's in contention there as well and then of course my my personal interest um Iowa State started this year off really really well um just going out there Ashley Jones has had two of the best games she's had in her entire career as far as I'm concerned in in terms of efficiency today obviously we're recording on sunday went nine of 14 from the floor seven of ten from the three-point line seven of ten had 11 boards she's putting together a really really strong case to three pre as the cheryl miller award winner this year and stephanie suarez i i expected her to have to take some time to adjust i thought maybe we'd see some really good flashes of who she could be uh but nothing near what we've seen so far. She she was 7 of 10 from the floor today. She can hit the glass. She's had a couple monster swats um, and, and can hit the three, has shown she can pass really well, can put the ball on the floor. So I, I'm really excited about the way the Big 12 basketball is shaping up once again, but especially for me uh, with, with the hopes that I have for Cyclone basketball this year, uh, I, I really couldn't be more excited. I'm going to talk about it a whole lot more on the, on the podcast. I'm about to hop off to record uh, with Eric on the Cyclone Family Podcast, but man, it's been really exciting. I can't wait to watch a couple games out in Oregon. I'll be watching as a fan at home, not traveling out with the team, but uh, I 
I, I'm just so impressed. And this week is always fun with all the Thanksgiving tournaments. There'll be some really fun games. Yeah. Thursday, you get Oklahoma State, Florida State in the Cancun Challenge, Iowa State, Michigan State at the Philadelphia Invitational, Kansas State, Clemson, and Paradise Jam. Uh, on Friday, you've got West Virginia, NC State in the Cancun Challenge. And then Saturday uh, gives you Oklahoma State, Purdue, uh, Kansas State, Arkansas, which should be very interesting as well. So a lot of fun Big 12 women's basketball games this weekend. Jamie, I know you got to bounce to go record the CFP, that is the Cyclone Family Podcast. Uh, and I know that if I asked you what game you're most excited for this week, it would probably be an Iowa State game. So I think we've got that covered. Am I? Am I? Yeah, you know me. I think I do. I think I do, Jamie. I like to think that we have a pretty good idea of who you is. Okay, that Iowa State-Michigan State game should be interesting. Okay, Andy. We've got a good Big 12 football lineup for the last weekend of the regular season, sir. We get Baylor, Texas on Friday. We get uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Iowa State, TCU, and Kansas, Kansas State on Saturday. Of course, for the incoming members, Cincinnati, Tulane on Friday is a big one. Uh, BYU, Stanford, Houston, Tulsa, and UCF, USF, and what could be the last game in that rivalry for some time. Andy Mitz, what game are you looking forward to the most this coming weekend? Well, I guess since I'm still not allowed to pick KU, K-State, um, but I mean, to be honest, I probably wouldn't have picked it anyway. I think that Tulane-Cincinnati game is the one that I'm circling. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, like that is that is the game that is probably has the most direct implications in terms of a super competitive game has the most direct implications on a conference championship. You look over on at the Big 12, like Baylor, Texas is a good one to kind of look at because it's a little bit intriguing. Um, but it being on Friday, I'm just, I mean, I, I don't know that there's going to be one enough kind of pressure there. It's not happening at the same time as other ones. Um, but also just the fact that like this is a Baylor team that looks, um, I don't want to say they look broken at this point, but they definitely have a lot of issues kind of going on every single time that I, I actually had said it in my power rankings before the games kicked off that uh, I don't really know what to do about this Baylor team. Cause every time I think that they're really good, they do something really bad. And every time I start to think that they might, Hey, actually be pretty bad. Uh, they do something really good, like almost beat TCU. So um, that one, I think is just up and down enough that I'm going to have to go with Cincinnati and Tulane. Uh, look, Tulane has been a phenomenal team in the American. They have a big 12 win already, um, you know, over, over Kansas state and, and, uh, like this is a a much better team than a lot of people expected coming in and Cincinnati kind of being the reigning champions of the American. Um, this is a huge, huge game. So it will be very interesting to see if we're going to get a rematch of this game in the next week for the conference championship, or, um, you know, if enough crazy stuff is going to happen that, that we might get something different, but I mean, there is a very good chance. This will just be round one, right. Of, of those matchups uh, with the exact same teams facing each other next week it would be interesting if cincinnati won this one and then got to host the exact same game the next week um, i would be interested to see how that one would kind of shape up but this is definitely the one to circle whoever gets to play at home in the conference championship is going to have a huge advantage um, as is usually the case in that american so yeah it's not technically big 12 yet but that's the one that i think intrigues me the most and i'm going to make sure i tune in uh, well i can pick kansas kansas state so i will take the most interesting and relevant Sunflower showdown we've seen in a very, very long time. I mean, it's, it's simple. Kansas State wins. They're going to Arlington to face TCU in the Big 12 title game. 
Like, I get it, TCU's game against Iowa State's big because they want to stay undefeated. It's hard to see Iowa State finding a way, despite how good their defense is, to get that win. Texas Baylor is interesting because of the Kansas State needing to get the win, but Texas plays on Friday. So that that game is just kind of, they're going to play and then wait to see what happens. Kansas State versus a resurgent Kansas. It's a it's a game that matters for those two teams. It's a game that matters a lot. <coughs> and now there's a ton on the line. We just haven't seen that in that game in a very long time. I'm, I'm very excited to watch it. Obviously, that Tulane Cincinnati game, a big game as well. Um, let's but look. I understand these are tournaments in Batman's basketball, so there's going to be some potentially other really good matchups down the line. But as far as the games that are set for this week in first rounds. Things get interesting starting Monday. Texas Tech facing off against Creighton at 1.30 in the Maui Gym Invitational. Um, 1.30 is perfect. I'll have the TV on at work and be watching that one. Very exciting. Wednesday, we get Kansas versus NC State. First round, the Bad Boy Mowers battle for Atlantis. Uh, Thursday, Iowa State Villanova. Very interesting. Uh, Oklahoma, Nebraska. Purdue, West Virginia. Uh, Friday, TCU, uh, Cal's Terrell. Uh, TCU should get that one. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the big stuff for the week. So we got a lot of, look, it's first round games. There's gonna be plenty of interesting men's basketball this week, Thanksgiving week, feast week. It's always a good time. Cannot wait. A lot of good football, a lot of good basketball, plenty to see. Congrats to the Oklahoma State, uh, men's cross country team. They play second and national championship this year, uh, lost the championship on tiebreaker and really lost by 0.02 seconds. Yeah, uh, the women placed fourth, which was good. Uh, had some other individuals for the teams competing do per, uh, particularly well. Uh, Texas claimed the women's volleyball uh, Big 12 crown this week. Congrats to them. Uh, they continue to dominate in the Big 12 and be quite good. Uh, TCU advanced to the round of 16. The NCAA Women's Soccer Championship. Uh, Texas season came to an end. West Virginia season came to an end. Uh, I am going to... Uh, uh, delay while I remember to look up how UCF and BYU are currently doing. I wish my internet was a little bit faster if I didn't have all these tabs looking at bowl mock-up things that are slowing the internet down. Let's take a look. Okay. Oh, that's... Come on, fix yourself. That's terrible. Uh, let's see. UCLA, or UCF lost to UCLA. Uh, TCU had advanced. They lost to Notre Dame. I'm like behind, forgive me. And uh, BYU lost to North Carolina. So all the Big 12 teams are out. Don't care about women's soccer tournament anymore. Cool. Glad I did that. Lots of fun. Uh, we should have our picks episode up a day early since Thanksgiving is a holiday. I'd like to have them up on Wednesday so you have plenty of time to listen before games on Friday. I'm not going to cut it. It is what it is. The show is a mess. and I love it. Thank you to all of you who listen. Don't forget we have a Discord. We would encourage you to come and hop in. we got a lot of great people in that Discord, not just fans of the show, but some fantastic people who come on and were served as guests. Uh, we've got podcast hosts. The link will be in the show notes. Don't forget Homefield Apparel. Black Friday, 20% off your order. Do it. But also, Scott, don't worry. I am not in the Discord. There most definitely is not an Andy Mitz from the Rap Talk podcast in the Discord. Nope. So you can bring all of your, you know. Um, we got some kids. Uh, I forget. So you he can. call all of his listeners. There's the boneheads, right? Yeah, like, the, yeah they're the boneheads. The boneheads. Okay, yeah. You can bring all the boneheads over to the Discord because I'm definitely not in there. Uh, let's see. We have 59 members at the moment. I'm trying to see because we have roles set up so we can actually mark like by by which school you're a fan of. 
uh, let's see. We got four. If you listen to this podcast and you are a Kansas fan and you're like, come join that discord as well, because I cannot be the only Kansas person in there. Before Iowa come state, on. 12, Oklahoma state, two, Texas tech, three, Oklahoma, seven, Baylor, one, Kansas, three, Kansas state, two, TCU, no, Texas, five, West Virginia. We just, uh, a Houston, a UCF. I know we've got more Houston than that. We'll, uh, hop in, get in the link. Come join us. We'll be back. We'll have picks. We'll talk to you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.